right. Chris and team, thank you guys for leading us in worship. That was very good. Uh, it's, I was all amped up from it all. So, uh, thank you guys for joining us. I know I already extended my gratitude to you for, for being here, but I just want to say how much it means to us that you would choose to come here and be with us this morning. So thank you again uh, for worshiping with us, for, for, for listening, uh, for attending. We are in Mark chapter 10, as you may have, as you may have noticed, and we've been in this uh, season of, of Mark, the gospel of Mark, for what seems like an eternity now. You know, we took a break there in January, uh, but now we're back in it. We've been here for the last three weeks again. So Mark chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22 this morning. Um, I'm excited for what the Lord is going to do uh, through this. So let's pray, uh, submit this service to him one more time, and then um, we'll get into it. So, Father God, I'm just grateful, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to, uh, to dive into your word and for the faithfulness um, and the truth of your scriptures. And so, God, I pray that you would help us um, through your spirit. Would you help us to receive what you have for us? Would you help us to understand your words this morning? We want to commit this service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So my wife and I, uh, we got together. We started dating when I was like 15. Um, We've been together for a long time, it feels like. Uh, you know, we got married when I was 19. And so, uh, we've, you know, we've just been at this for a little bit. Um, and there's people in this room that, that, that look at that and then laugh about it because you guys have been together for like 80 years. And so, uh, that's the goal. But during that season of my life... Um, we had moved from Indianapolis, the Indianapolis area, down here to Terre Haute, and that was to start a business. Uh, and when um, I had graduated, uh, before we had gotten married, uh, I wanted to be a pastor. I felt like the Lord had placed it on my, on my heart. I was excited because my faith was new. It was all exciting for me. Um, but I also wanted to get married to Grace, like quick. And so uh, I knew that in order to do that, I needed some like, you know, financial stability and all that kind of stuff. And so the opportunity kind of arose for us to uh, open one of, uh, like a franchise of my family's business, and that moved us down here. And so it made sense that I was, if I was going to have a wife, then I needed to have that steady income. But what I did is that I stopped my education and my pursuit of becoming a pastor, and I just kind of proceeded into the workplace. Um, and so we got married. Like I said, we moved down here. We bought a house. We opened a business, all what felt like, you know, one month of time, which was crazy. Um, and now, just because, I wanted to say this too, just because I put pursuing being a pastor and all that on pause, which felt like indefinitely, um, I didn't fall out of love with him at that point. It wasn't like I abandoned him. I just in that season of my life chose that over him, which I see now, but I wasn't like mad at him or deciding to run away from him. At least it didn't feel like that in my heart. Um, I still loved him. And we made it a point to actually find a church when we moved down here. That was one of the main things we wanted to do was come down here and find a church immediately. And we kind of checked out a couple different ones. Um, and we actually left one church that I wasn't too like excited about. Um, I was also I really didn't know what I was looking for, I don't think. I was just so young. But uh, we drove around, and we kind of stumbled upon this church. And it was pretty neat because the service was letting out, and I kind of pulled into the parking lot, and I rolled my window down. And the first person I met was Jenny Wilson. You guys, if you know Jenny Wilson, then you know after that conversation, I was like, well, this is our church. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to go to a service. But I met her, and then I also met Pastor Brett, who had really, I didn't know at the time, but he had only been here like three or a couple months before we had pulled in. So it was pretty, pretty neat and pretty surreal looking back at that. But 
we started attending, and business at the time was kind of taking off. It was booming. Uh, and I told Grace that I didn't want the church to find out that we did music. Like, I didn't want anyone to find out about it. Uh, and so I wanted to just be an attender, to, you know, kind of be a business owner and then just attend church. Um, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to do that. Uh, but as you can may have guessed, they found out. <laughs> they found out. And so, uh, you know, we started volunteering, uh, and we did that for a really long time. But during that time, you know, business, like I said, was booming, and I kept feeling the Lord pressing on me. He kept reminding me that I've called you to something besides this. I've called you to something. And, you know, I kind of felt like, oh, I don't know, Lord. Like, I feel like I'm doing it. Like, I'm volunteering. I'm doing what you called me to do, I think. You know, so we had some wrestling there. But I would continue to wrestle with it, and then I would kind of shut it out and tell myself that everything's good. Like I said, I was young and married. We had no kids. We were making more money than we've ever had, never seen. Uh, I didn't really want to give any of that up. And so uh, I knew that pursuing what the Lord was really calling me to meant that I would have to, that I would have to give some things up. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be in vocational ministry, right, to follow the Lord. We know that. Uh, I'm also not saying that you can't own a business and be successful to follow the Lord, because obviously you can. But for me, my specific calling that I felt the Lord was placing on me personally, I felt like I was avoiding it, which was that call to like vocational ministry. I felt like I was avoiding that because I liked what I had. But finally, the Lord pressed on me enough that I gave in. I finally gave in, and I had that conversation that I needed to have with Pastor Mark, who was the lead pastor here at the time, also Pastor Brett and Pastor Adam. But at that time, I was told, really, you know, there wasn't enough um, funds available at the time, and so uh, because I had finally felt like I had said yes to this call, I took that answer as like a, no, you're not supposed to be here, so you need to go find something else. So I started putting my resumes out there and doing this whole interview process. You guys know that whole deal. Uh, and I actually made it pretty far with a couple other churches, uh, through the hiring process even with one church. And the other church, I had one more phase to go through. Um, and then it was like at that very moment, this is kind of where it gets crazy. Uh, I get a call from the staff here to just go out to lunch. And I respect those guys a lot and all of their opinions. And so I take this lunch meeting and they challenged me to wait a, wait a year, just to wait a year and pray. And I did not want to. <laughs> I did not want to because I was like, I've been running from this the whole time. I was really excited. But like I said, I respected them a lot. I appreciated their voice in my life. And so I listened. I listened and I, and I waited. And I committed that to prayer. And almost a year to the date later, it worked out to where I was able to be hired on. It was kind of weird. Um, but the Lord does things like that. And so I was able to become on part-time. So I ended up running the business, and then I had two days a week where I could come here and do the things that I needed to do. Um, that was outside of Sundays. And so the goal really was to get on full-time. But for the next five years, you know, Grace and I, we, we began having children. And we, you know, you know how expensive that is. Uh, and so we, we started having kids, and I felt the need for more, I needed to provide more um, and business was doing really well. Uh, and so I started to kind of doubt that full-time call. I began to kind of treasure my possessions, uh, my lifestyle, because business was successful. I kind of felt this pride from being successful and doing what I thought God wanted me to do. I felt like I had everything I wanted, and it felt good. Um, I felt like I was finally making my parents proud and that this would be crazy for me to kind of mess up kind of ruin in my regard. Um, but I, I was so mistaken. 
I was really mistaken because it wasn't too long after having some conversations about all of this, this wrestling with Pastor Brett, that I began to again feel the Lord. He was telling me this is what I've called to. So I realized I wasn't just called to become a pastor. That's what I had kind of like, you know, surmised from all of that was that, you know, at that time I was like, I just am supposed to be a pastor. But really what I think it was and what the call was on me was to just truly trust and follow him. I think that was what the Lord was trying to tell me. I think I interpreted it as I need to be a pastor. I need to be in vocational ministry. I need to do all these things. But really, when I look back, it was just like, you don't trust me. (laughs) You don't trust me. And if you did, you would listen. And so I think that was the call, to completely follow him. And that meant up giving, or that meant giving up a lot. It meant dramatic changes. And it was a very scary, but also exciting chapter in our lives. And so I set up this conversation with my family uh, about pulling out of the business, the family business, pulling out. That's a scary conversation. Uh, I invited them over, and they didn't know why, but I invited them to our house to have this meeting. I was setting it up. And so get this. This is wild. I set my grandparents down, and what does my grandpa do? The first thing he does is he pulls out this ring and it's a Kentucky cluster ring. I don't, if you don't know what that is, it's just a big gold ring with a ton of diamonds on it <laughs> all over the top of it. And he says, I wanted to give you this because I'm proud of you and what you're doing. And I was like, oh, man, right now? <laughs> right, you're going to give this? Like, he was sitting on the couch, and I had pulled up a chair, and he hands it to me. And I was like, this is crazy. So thank you, I quit. You know, like, 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 it was very hard. And so after he gave me that, Grace could attack. I mean, it's not a surprise. I cry all the time, so you guys know this. Um, that was like waterfall out of my face. And so I was, had all of this, like, emotional charge with all of it. But I couldn't believe that that was what the, how, how it kind of played out. Uh, and so it was really hard, but I got through it. I told them what we were doing, and they supported me. Um, And so what we see in our passage today, it's a long story to give you all this context of just what we're getting into, but we see our passage today is is one where Jesus places this call on our lives to follow him, and it's really an all-or-nothing call. It's one that is all in, and he has this interaction with a young man who has this really big question. It's one that's bigger than I think the young man realizes, and Jesus' answer is one that changes everything for him, or it has the potential to. So I want to invite our scripture readers up. Uh, Travis Beckner, he's our scripture reader this morning. We're going to be on page 897 in the Gospel of Mark, and so if you would stand for the reading of God's word as Travis makes his way up here. Good morning, Travis. Morning, church. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Thank you, Travis, for reading that. I love this story. I love this story. And I also love the next section that uh, Pastor Seth is going to unpack for us next week. But I love how this starts out with Jesus 
kind of starting on his way. We always see that in the gospel where Jesus is on his way somewhere. He's on mission to go somewhere and somebody interrupts him. And this is really just a side note, but how many interruptions or inconveniences, as we would call them, was Jesus stopped by? So many, so many, these like divine interruptions, as we would call them. Uh, Even in his willingness to speak to this man is showing how good and how patient he is. He isn't distracted by what he has lying ahead of him. He isn't like, man, I, I got to get to this other place, so I really don't have time for you. Like, he's always present, undistracted by whatever lies ahead of him. And I love that about him. Just a, just a quick note, I just love that. So, this young man, he runs to Jesus and he kneels before him. Now, we really don't know much about this guy. We don't know much about him at all. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell this story of a man who had come to Jesus with a very important question. And all three say he was rich, but only Matthew tells us that he's young. And it's only in Luke where he's called a ruler. So that's how we get this rich, young ruler. So just to give us some context, I think better context, it's very unlikely that he was a Roman official. It's very unlikely, and that's because, you know, a Roman official really wouldn't approach Jesus with a religious question because he was Jewish. So he would probably be a Jewish leader, maybe a local synagogue leader or something of that nature. And Luke 18 tells us that he wasn't just rich. Luke 18 tells us he was very rich, like beyond rich. And this is all going to play a part as we unpack our text this morning. And so he falls at the feet of Jesus and he addresses Jesus as good teacher. And then he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus first addresses this title that the young man gives him by asking, why do you call me good? I thought that was interesting. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In Matthew and in Luke, the same story reads a little differently where the rich young man asks him, what good thing must I do? But all in all, there's this idea of goodness. And so Jesus is like, you acknowledge me as good. You ask about doing good, but by what or whose standard are you basing this off of? Because goodness only comes from God. And so really, I think what he's doing is he's kind of setting him up here. Jesus' fundamental lesson here is that goodness flows not from a man's deeds, but rather from God himself. And it was his intention to show this young man that very thing. But that requires a lot more than just doing something is what he's going to get to. And so Jesus starts off with speaking to this man's pride, I think, by saying, you know the commandments. So if we know this is a Jewish man, if we guess this is a Jewish man, a Jewish leader even, then he would definitely know the commandments. And so he goes, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. That's obviously not you know, all of the law. He's just kind of throwing those out there. Now, at first read, it sounds like Jesus is saying, just do those things and you'll be good. But we know that that isn't the case. We know salvation isn't found in what you do. But Jesus knew that this young man had held this belief, that he had this belief, and he didn't understand that salvation is a matter of grace. This young man didn't get that. And so when the young man hears this list, he's probably thinking, yes, Oh, yeah, I got that one, got that one, got, oh, nailed it. We're good. I am in. (laughs) Almost like it gasses him up a little bit. He's probably like, cool, cool, cool. I kept all those. Man, I've got this thing in the bag. But then look at verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus loved him 
and said to him. I'm going to stop there for just for a moment. So I love that part. It's really intentional that they would include that. Jesus looked at him. Jesus loved him and said to him. So I believe Jesus sees that this man has believed this his whole life. Remember, he's likely a Jew, so he's well-versed in the law. He really thought by just checking the boxes of the law off that he was good. And maybe by legal standards back then, he was. But the look of love, I think, is one of compassion that Jesus gives. A deep desire for this young man to truly understand and be with him. But Jesus knows how hard it's going to be. He knows that it's going to be so tough for him. And I think it's the same look that a father gives or a parent gives when he sees his child who he loves deeply go the wrong way. You love your kids, and when they go the way you don't want them to go, what are you left with? What do you do? The only loving response is to speak truth. It would have been unloving to let the young man believe that he had it right when he had it so wrong. So he had to speak to it. So Jesus tells him, you lack one thing. Now, those words, this guy is probably racing through his mind to think of what he missed. Man, I kept all those. I kept, I, what, what law, what, which one did I miss? What, what did I do? And then he hears, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. He probably stood there dumbfounded and speechless at these words. What do you mean? What do you mean? And then he leaves dismayed because he had great wealth and many possessions. So Jesus was speaking to the heart of this man's issue. See, he had a deep flaw to his thinking. And ironically, he broke the very first commandment. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He had that. It was himself and his possession, his money, his status, and his power. He had that. He had replaced the Lord. And while he was obeying the written rules, he failed to see the point of them, and he was using them as a means of building himself up. And his pride was obeying the law, or his pride was in obeying the law. That was his righteousness. He amassed this great wealth, and it had gotten to his head. He replaced his identity and his validation from being in God to his possessions and his status. And Jesus will tell us in a couple chapters that the most important commandments are these, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what he's getting at in our passage. And I'm sure this young man, I'm sure he loved God in a sense. And so the motivation behind his work was not because... He loved God and wanted to be with him. I think it was because he loved himself and he wanted to make sure that he was going to be able to have everything he's ever wanted and keep that forever. And I love this life. I love what I have. What do I have to do to have eternal life? How can I stay here like this forever? I mean, who doesn't want to live forever? And I think this was more self-preservation. And the easiest way for this guy to get what he wanted was just to do what he did best. That was check these boxes. This response from Jesus, it reminds me of Jesus in Revelation when he tells the church at Ephesus in chapter 2, starting in verse 2, he says, I know your works, your labor and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. 
So again, if you're hearing that, if you're reading that, at the first read, the first time, you probably hear that list and are like, yeah, awesome. You see all the good that we've been doing. That's great. But then he does it again. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you have at first. See, we get so caught up in doing, in the doings of things that we forget the heart behind doing them. Uh, We are so used to kind of a reward-based behavior system that we allow to kind of come straight into our spiritual lives. I do this, then I'll get this. Uh, Oh, this thing is broken? Well, let me try to fix it this way. Oh, I hurt your feelings? Well, then tell me what to do and I'll make it better. What do I have to do? And I think we live in that mindset too often. What must I do? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Now, how many of you have ever been in an argument with your spouse and they've hit you with this one? Grace, don't get mad. Uh, I don't want to have to tell you what to do. I just want you to want to do it. Just me? (laughs) Anyone? Yikes. All right. So moving on from that. No, I'm just kidding. So I don't want you to have to me to tell you all the things that I want you to do. I just want you to do it. But we like quick fixes. That's why I'm always like, well, just tell me what you want. I'll do it. I don't want to think about it. Just tell me, (laughs) you know. Whatever will bring around the result that we want with little cost, little sacrifice. That's what we like. But just like with relationships, our relationship with Jesus is so much deeper than just keeping rules. We've been talking a lot about adopting the lifestyle and practices of Jesus. And we're going to continue to talk about those things. We're going to continue to teach them. We're going to, you can call them what you want, spiritual disciplines, disciplines, practices, habits, whatever. But like I've said before, the practices that we've been talking about, they are not the formation itself, okay? They are not indicators used to measure righteousness in your life. The more you do, the more righteous you are. That's not what they are. They are a means of practice to help us in our pursuit of Jesus. We are putting things in place to help us see Jesus, to help us love him, and to help us in our intentional pursuit of him. But they in and of themselves are still just things you are doing. And at the end of the day, without Jesus as the motivation, without Jesus as the goal, without Jesus over all of it, what's the point? Why do it? Why do any of it? You know, Jesus speaks against this mindset of just doing things. He says, on that day, he says in Matthew 7, 22, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we protest in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And the Lord will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And so again, we see a lot of doing. In the name of Jesus, even, a lot of doing. But it was Jesus who was the one doing all those things. It was his name and his power and his authority. And they claimed it as their own, as if it were their deeds that were going to earn them the righteousness that they were looking for. And this warning is one that scares a lot of people. And I certainly don't bring up that verse to try to scare us. It's just so important that we see how clearly Jesus is making this, that he wants our hearts The things that we do for him should draw us closer to him. It should be in response to the love and grace that we desire to do anything for him. We practice being with him because we love him. 
So I think we have to ask ourselves, like, what first does this passage show us about Jesus? I think it shows us clearly how much he loves us. And because he loves us, he will confront us with the deepest truth that we need to hear. You know, he can always pinpoint exactly what our issues are. He knows us deeply. He knows our deepest longings. He knows where we try to find fixes for what our deepest needs are. And even when we don't know it yet, he knows. And the beauty is that he reveals to us our true need every time. He's faithful to do that. You know, his correction in our lives, it isn't out of anger towards us, but one of love. In the same way that he looked at the young man and loved him and then spoke is the same thing that he does for us. And his goal isn't to make you feel stupid. It's not to make you feel shame. It's simply to open your eyes to truth. And the truth is that you need him. You need him. The truth is that we fall into the the age-old habit of going through the motions, of just checking things off the box, or checking boxes off the list. The truth is that we like having nice things. We like being successful. We like seeing the fruits of our own labor. It makes us feel good about ourselves. We like knowing that I'm doing a good job. We take pride in ourselves. We like looking like we have it together. We like for people to think that we're good Christians. We like to feel as though we're, kill, like we're killing it. And again, are the things like success and having nice stuff, is that bad? No, but when they become our identity, yes. When they become the things that, that grip your heart, then yes, that is bad. Is it bad to do good things and to pursue these spiritual practices and put them in place? Of course not. But is it bad to just make it about the appearance of following Jesus over actually following Jesus? Well, then yes. So I think we have to ask ourselves this question, like, do we really want what Jesus has to offer? Do you really want it? I mean, what does he have to offer us? You may think, well, uh, eternal life. That's what we're here for. That's the question. Eternal life. Yes, of course. But if that's all that we're in for this, if we're all just in this just so we can have eternal life, I think we're missing a big part of it. Even though it's a a big part of it itself, I think the point is bigger than that. It isn't immortality just so you can still be you forever. The point is Jesus. Being with him forever in a state of perfection that you were created to live in for an eternity. But what he has to offer isn't just a future hope. It's a current one. You know that when you place your faith in Jesus, you are now justified by your faith. You have a right standing with God because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. You have been given pardon from the guilt and penalty of sin, not on what you can do or what you have done, but because of Jesus and what he already did. Because of that, now you can have peace with God. No longer his enemy, but you are adopted into his family. The Bible tells us we have been made co-heirs with Christ. And you now have access to God the Father. You know, that was an unthinkable notion for Jewish people. Access to God the Father. Me? That's crazy. But in Christ you have that. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he is with you to convict you of sin in order that you may be formed more into the image of Jesus. He brings us comfort. He guides us. 
Uh, He gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God. He enables us to pray and to understand God's word. He intercedes for us. He gives us peace that passes understanding. His presence is constant in our lives. He's with us in our sufferings, and he is with us in our victories. Indeed, he actually is the only reason we have victory in anything. It's all him. His promises for his people are your promises. If you believe in him and if you follow him, is what he has to offer worth giving up everything for? And we may say with our mouths, yes, but even with all of that, we still struggle to see it. We still struggle to feel it. We fight against the culture. We fight against the desires of the flesh. We fight against the lies and deceit of the enemy who is still asking us that same question, Did God really say? Did he really say this? Did God really say he wants you to give up everything and follow him? He really doesn't want you to do that. He just doesn't want you to have any fun. You can do whatever you want as long as you believe in him. Man. Romans 6, 1 through 4, it speaks directly to that. This idea of doing whatever you want as long as you believe in him. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all those who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. And then down to verse 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. You were set free. You were set free from those chains. Your identity at one time was sinner, separated from God and hellbound. That was you. That was me. But in Christ, you are now sinner, saved by grace, holy, and set apart because of Jesus. And we know that we still live here, and we're still fighting the flesh, and we're fighting the disordered desires that plague our mind and our, and our flesh. It causes us to question what it really means to follow Jesus. We end up saying things like, well, he certainly, God wouldn't call us to do that. And he really wouldn't call us to give up that. He wouldn't call us to give up that much. He wouldn't really call me to move my family somewhere dangerous. That would be crazy of him. We begin to feed the desires that we have with those thoughts. And we begin to sink into our comforts. And we begin to find our identity not in Jesus but in ourselves. And then we justify sin in our lives that we cherish. Telling ourselves that we're good. I'm good. I do good things. What good thing must I do? Where am I finding my own value and my identity? I think that's what we have to wrestle with also. We will run ourselves into the ground for the pursuit of what we think will bring us the most joy in life. We hold on to titles like our lives depend on it. And it starts young. We find our identity in everything but Jesus. You know, when I was growing up, basketball, it was my identity. I wanted to be known by it. I wanted everything I did to be saturated in it. 
And as I got older, it became other things. You know, I was in a band, and then I was, and that was my identity for a long time. And after I became a believer, it really was still more of like a, sub, a subcategory to my identity. Like I was also a Christian, but that was like down here, you know? But he is my life. My identity is now his. And I would be lying to you if I said that this still wasn't a struggle. Even as a pastor, it becomes hard not to find your identity in that. I'm a pastor. That's my identity. And yes, I am one, but my identity isn't that. It is in Christ, in Christ alone. It's, it's him. And if he called me to give up any part of my life that has taken precedence over him, I have to ask myself, would I be willing to give it up? Would I be willing to give it up or would I walk away sad because of my unwillingness? Because I valued it more than him. And you may think, man, I work hard for my stuff. I've worked so hard so we can have the life that we have. I'm proud of my accomplishments. How dare you say I shouldn't be? I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I think it's good. I think it's good to work hard and provide for your families. I think that's great. Be proud of it. But even then, what Jesus is calling us to is harder than that. Harder than your hard work. It's the call to take up our cross, to submit everything to him, your entire being, all your possessions, everything you love, and say, it's yours, Lord. I love these things, but I love you more. I love you, and I want to live to follow you. And you know, Jesus never promised us earthly wealth, success, or status, but he promised us that with him, like I said, we would be called co-heirs with him. How's that for status? We will have treasure in heaven, he says. I think for most, this call is really an attitude of the heart and a willingness to lay our yes before the Lord regardless of what we're being asked of him. Most of the time, I think he calls us to change um, with that attitude. And from that attitude, there is a change uh, from it. And you may see changes from different aspects of your life. I don't think he's really saying here that you just have to leave this place and go and sell everything. It might be what he's telling you to do, but I don't think it's for everyone. I think what he's saying is you have to follow me with your whole heart, your heart and your flesh. I think we do have to ask ourselves the same question as this young man. What must I do? We like that question. What must I do? I think the answer is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I think we start by sitting before the Lord and we ask him to search us and then we surrender it to him. Psalm 139 verses 23 through 24 says, search me, God, know my heart, test me, and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. And so we invite his inspection. Odds are, right now, you already know. You already know. Surrender those things to him, and then follow him. I love that part. Lead me in the everlasting way. The way of Jesus. Helped us to adopt your way of life. Help me to be like you. And I think from that, there's a shift in the way that we hold on to our things. We, I think we will change in, from hoarding to giving and sharing. I think we have to give and we have to share. 
I mentioned earlier that I don't think God is always calling us to sell everything to get rid of all that we enjoy, but I think the heart shift that comes from following him, I think you'll begin to share the things that you've been blessed with. If it's financial success, then I believe generosity will flow from you. You'll see needs and you'll have a desire to help. And if it's a deep knowledge of something, you'll begin to help those who don't have that same knowledge or whatever the case is. And you don't have to be successful financially to help people. You see a need and you give. You give of your time. You give of what you have. There's a shift. Instead of acquiring, we are giving. You'll begin to share who you are with those around you that have a need that you can meet. And then I think the last thing we have to do is truly follow him. Follow him. Maybe we need to put some things in place that we've been talking about, some of these practices. Honestly, if, as we've been unpacking these practices, practices of Jesus and we've been interacting with them, we've mentioned that this is a process of subtraction, not addition. And so as we're identifying idols and treasures that have stolen the heart's affection or our heart's affection away from the Lord, man, we want to rid ourselves of those things so that we can better be with him, so I can sit with him and experience his peace that he gives to us so I can become more aware of his presence in my life so I can consciously walk with him man make the things that we do for the Lord be to grow in our relationship with him not to impress him or anybody else around us but we have to practice though because Romans 8 7 it tells us our flesh is hostile to God it doesn't want to do this it doesn't want to submit itself to him Our flesh does not like it. And so we have to practice. These things aren't going to be easy to implement. It will be hard. You'll feel it. If you've tried any of the things we've talked about, you know it's hard. You know you can't sit there for more than five minutes without being like, I hate this. (laughs) I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go do whatever I have to do. But to pause and be still before the Lord is hard. Maybe you need to invite some people into this practice with you. Maybe you can invite your group, if you're in a group, to try some of these things together. Do anything just to try to implement these practices and have some accountability in it. But what I want us to do now is, as as we go into our response time, I want us to wrestle with some of these questions. I want us to ask ourselves, what barriers are we, are we, do we have in our lives keeping us from truly following Christ? What is the loving truth that Jesus is confronting you with this morning? What is he, what is he pinpointed? He's like, yeah, you need, this is you. This is the one thing you need to do. And then lastly, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then that's, that's the truth you need to hear this morning, that you need him. Nothing you can do, nothing you can do at all to impress him, it's just believing in him, telling him, I, I, I believe in you, I see you, I'm a sinner, I need, I need you to save me, and I want to follow you. You tell him that now, and he's faithful and just to forgive you, his Holy Spirit will enter you, and you'll be made new. You'll have the promises that we're talking of. So let's spend some time in prayer, and then I will close us. So wrestle with these things to the Lord. This time is yours.